Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the 305th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Ariel Winter, author of the new novel, The Preserve. Stay tuned for the interview. And stay tuned after the interview as Ariel Winter reads a short excerpt from his new novel, The Preserve. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen to audiobooks during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Reading and Writing Podcast Special Offer. Get two audiobooks for the price of one with your first month of membership with code RWPODCAST. That's code RWPODCAST for two audiobooks for the price of one for your first month of membership at Libro.fm. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Ariel S. Winter, author of the new novel, The Preserve. Ariel's previous novels include Baron Cove and The 20-Year Death. Ariel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Sure. Well, if someone hasn't heard about your novel, The Preserve, yet, how would you describe the novel? So it is set in a uh, near future in which there has been a pandemic that has wiped out most of the human population. And the uh, robots have become the primary life form on the planet. Uh, the preserve is something the robots has set up for the remaining humans so that they can live in a robot-free environment. And uh, the book opens with the first murder taking place on the preserve. And do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write the preserve? So there were a couple of things. Uh, one, my novel Baron Cove, the novel right before this, is also a robot book. And in that book, there's only one human and all the other characters are robots. So one of the things that led me to the preserve was the idea of sort of reversing that, where it's all humans, even though it's still a robot world, and there's really only one robot character. Uh, so that was one aspect of it. And then the other was a desire to get back to writing a mystery. Uh, the 20 year death, my first book is a mystery. Baron Cove is not. Um, and so this was sort of a way to further explore the robot world uh, in the vein of a mystery. And what is it about the, the mystery form that appeals to you? 
at the base, I'm just a big fan. I've been reading mysteries since <laughs> I was a kid. Um, I've always loved them. Um, but I also think that the mystery uh, gives you an opportunity to really ask some existential questions. Uh, first off, it is often really a matter of life or death. Uh, so that really forces the big questions. Um, and I just feel like it's a versatile medium uh, to to really approach anything in. Well, you mentioned earlier about having this this idea that that kind of came out of writing your previous novel. I'm curious, what's the creative process for you? I mean, once you have that idea, when you sat down and started working on the preserve, um, were you writing kind of organically and trying to figure out where the story was going to lead, or do you write a more uh, formal? kind of outline or synopsis before you begin the novel? What What's your process? Right. So uh, I am the type of writer who just sort of writes blind and sees where it goes. So I had that initial idea of the preserve and the first murder happening. And then I just started writing and see where it goes. After the rough draft, you know, once I've made it all the way through the story once, then I sort of go back and form an outline from that and see where things need to move for pacing uh, or if, you know, I've repeated myself or, you know, any, anything to get the, um, you know, to, in the rewrite process to, to get the story to its best form. Sure. What are your earliest memories of writing fiction? So I started writing in about fourth grade. Uh, I had to write a short story for school. Um, I was already a huge reader. Um, I, I just read, you know, like a book a day in elementary school. I was a huge reader. And so uh, once they asked me to write at school, um, it right away became something that I was very excited about. Um, and then I sort of never stopped. And can you can you kind of talk about your writing journey that that eventually led you to writing and getting your first novel published? Sure. From from that, you know, fourth grade story. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I won't belabor the my uh younger years. Um I I'll just suffice it'll suffice to say that I wrote all through school. Um by the time I was going to college, I was a hundred percent certain I wanted to be a writer. Um, and so I actually uh, majored in creative writing in college. Um, so that was hugely uh, formative for me, the workshops and classes and readings that I did throughout college. Um, I wrote my first novel, which is not my first published novel, just the first novel that I wrote um, in college. Um, and I wrote, I think as many people do, I have written or had written several novels, uh, before the 20 year death, none of which saw the light of day. Um, the one thing that I like to tell people or, or point out about my journey is that I had several different agents, uh, before the 20 year death sold, um, Sometimes the first agent just isn't the right fit for you. It's a, it's a lot like dating. You got to try it out. So um, I had a, a few agents and they just weren't the right fit until I got my agent that was able to sell the 20-year death. 
Well, I, I know that there are probably uh, people listening who are kind of in that process. And I wonder if you could just talk about that a little bit more. I mean, obviously without, you know, naming names specifically, but I wonder if you could just uh, kind of delve a little bit more into why they weren't the right fit for you and how you kind of figured that out. Sure. So um, my first agent, one of the frustrating things was that I didn't have, I didn't end up getting the attention that I wanted um, when I would try to reach out to um, to my agent. I didn't always get a response back, um, and I was pretty kept pretty in the dark about how many places my book had been sent and. Um, what the responses were like. It was sort of just a black hole um, with that first agent. And so eventually I just got very frustrated that I was getting no communication um, and ended up parting ways with that agent. Um, the next agent I had um, was more communicative, but I think we really ended up having different visions for my my book and my career. Um, the 20 year death is set up. It's as three separate novels that form a larger novel. And the first novel in the 20 year death, um, my agent at that time was very interested in pulling that out and having it be the first in a series about that particular detective. And at the time I was not interested in writing a detective series, um, even though I liked working in mystery, um, the 20 year death was something different than that. So the relationship was fine. It just ended up being that we didn't really have the same vision um, until I found my um, final agent who was very communicative, extremely willing to go in whatever direction I wanted to go um, with my career, with my writing. Um, and ultimately was able to actually sell the um, sell the book for me. And so you mentioned that first novel that was published, 20 Year Death, which was published by Hard Case Crime. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and how it was working with Hard Case? So Hard Case was always sort of where I wanted it to be. Um, so it was really wonderful that it ended up being, you know, that I got my wish and that it ended up being there. Um, Hard Case is uh, published by Charles Ardai. He's the founder and the publisher and editor um, for the line. And he is extremely smart and very good editor. He's a hands-on editor. Um, you know, he he really makes suggestions and and um, he he's just a wonder, wonderful person to work with. Um, and uh, the... Fortunately, also, Hard Case really was excited about the book, and they really did a lot of promotion for it, and it got a good amount of attention. So I'm curious, you mentioned these early novels, and you said that they didn't see the light of day. Now that you have, uh, The Preserve is your uh, third novel um, that's been published. If you looked back now, why do you think that those early novels didn't see the light of day? I mean, some of it has to do with just I was not as good a writer then as I am now. Um, they, you know, I was young. I was still learning the novel form. Uh, so some of those 
really are, I guess, um, you know, juvenilia in that sense. Uh, I have one novel that I still feel strongly about and hope. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. To one day publish, um, and that actually did get a bunch of interest from several different editors um, at, at different publishers. And in the end, they just weren't able to make an offer. So that one is sitting uh, on standby. So hopefully it'll come out someday. And I'm curious um, with that, have have you ever considered self-publishing? Um, because in this podcast, I interview both uh, traditionally published, and I would say that probably if you looked at the ratio of uh, interviews that I've done, which is over 300 at this point, that probably the ratio would be 85% traditionally published. Um, but I'm curious, I mean, to me, it would seem like, um, uh, given the fact that you've had three novels published and that had interest, but didn't make it um, to uh, getting an offer, have you ever considered self-publishing? And if not, I'm curious why that why that doesn't appeal to you. Or why that's not of interest to you? Yeah, um, I have not actually considered it. Um, part part of it is uh, when I was starting out. You know, self publishing has become much more popular, um, and the stigma that it used to have is much less than it used to um, used to be. But I think that I still, you know, I, I started before that shift. So the sure. so the vision had always been to to be published uh, by a publisher and I can also say as somebody who has been published um, by a traditional publisher um, doing it on my own uh, seems daunting I would say um, it's very hard to get through the noise and have some promotion and some distribution and um, that is what the traditional publisher brings. Sure. Well, I know you wrote a blog, We Too Were Children, Mr. Barry, which is still accessible online that 
dives really deep into children's book and children's literature. And I know you wrote a picture book, one of a kind. Do you have plans to write more children's books or picture books? I would love to write more picture books. And and like with my novel, I have some picture books that I've written that did not sell. Um, but the picture book market is really challenging. I mean, all all book markets are challenging, but the picture book market has, is very challenging in part because I think so many people feel like, oh, there's nothing to writing a picture book and it's very short and I can just do that, um, even though it's a lot more difficult than it looks. Um, so I was sort of discouraged by my agent from pursuing it further simply because the market was so uh, challenging and my adult fiction was getting noticed. Um, so I've sort of put my children's writing on hold. And and what was it about children's literature that appealed to you um, in terms of the blog that you did write? It's And I should add, it's not as active today, but it's still there and accessible if someone is interested in taking a look at it. What what, what was it about it that, that appealed to you and in terms of writing this specific blog? Sure. So, so people uh, understand what the blog was about. It focused on authors that are generally thought of as adult authors who wrote picture books and you just never even knew, or, or sometimes young novels, and you just never knew that they did that. Um, people like Graham Greene wrote picture books. Uh, Patricia Highsmith wrote a picture book. Chinua Achebe wrote a bunch of picture books. And so these are people who are, uh, of course, revered at, for their adult work. Um, and often their children's work is not even known. Um, I sort of, over the years, developed a list of these people where I would notice in their bibliographies, taking a deeper look at their bibliographies, that they had this out-of-print children's book. And I just started to get really cur curious about that. I was a children's book seller uh, for a while. So children's books were, were my sort of professional focus as well. and so between the two, the sort of just bibliophile interest in these sort of literary peculiarities um, and my work, at, you know, my day job at the time as being a children's bookseller, um, it really, I wanted to bring a lot of those to light. Interesting. So what writing advice would you offer for those who are writing their own stories and novels? So I don't think that I have anything that you probably haven't heard before. Um, obviously, the biggest one is to to just do it. Um, write every day. Uh, just carve out some protected time, if possible, uh, to uh, practice and, and write every single day. Um, then, of course, the the other side of it is reading as much as you possibly can, reading the kinds of books that you are interested in writing uh, to learn from those who have come before. Um, it's really not, uh, it's, I know that's not unusual advice, but really re reading a lot and <laughs> writing a lot is the only way to get there. Gotcha. So are you working on another novel now? 
I am. I am working on one. Uh, until it's done, I generally don't share what it's about, um, but I will sure. say that it's um, another crime novel. Got it. So what fiction or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? So I just read Susanna Clarke's new book, Piranesi, and it was incredible. Um, I highly recommend it. It At the beginning, it's a very odd book, and I wasn't sure that I was getting into it. And then it, it just sort of kicks in, and it was very hard to put down. So um, I'm sure a lot of people already have that on their list, but uh, Piranesi is excellent. Um, the other thing I'm reading right now, I got the Library of America's Women, Women Crime Writers box set, um, which is eight novels by women crime writers from the 1940s and 1950s. Um, so I'm working my way through that and really enjoying that as well. Um, I love, as anyone who read The 20-Year Death would know, I love hard-boiled fiction. I love that era of the crime fiction from the 30s, the 40s, the 50s. Um, and it's interesting to get to see some women writers because they're not as well-known uh, as some of the male contemporaries. That's great. I love the Library of America. Where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels? Right. So I still, like you said, I still like people to go to the blog, We Two Were Children, Mr. Barry. I don't update it often, but it does link to my novels. Um, otherwise, I have a Facebook page, an author page, um, and I that's where I update things that are happening with my uh, career and upcoming events and that kind of thing. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Ariel S. Winter, author of the new novel, The Preserve. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Ariel, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you for having me. And now listen as Ariel Winter reads an excerpt from his new novel, The Preserve. Sitting down, Chief of Police Jesse Loughton put his palms on his desk to steady himself, closed his eyes, and took a deep breath. He was exhausted. His headache, coupled with the chronic pain in his face, made it hard to focus. Life would be easier if I was dead, he thought, then opened his eyes and looked at the clock on the wall without turning his head. The thin red hand made its stuttering march through the numbers into the late afternoon, only 43 minutes left in his shift. Then the phone on his desk buzzed, the vibration sliding it across the out-of-date calendar blotter. He had it set on Do Not Disturb and lying face down. He knew that having his phone in do not disturb mode during his shift was not only against the police department's bylaws, but his chief was irresponsible. But this late in the day, he just didn't care. Now it was ringing anyway, which meant that somebody needed to get through badly enough to call him more than once in two minutes. Still, he watched it buzz for another few seconds before working up the strength to turn it over to see who was calling. It was Matthews. That was bad. He answered, Chief Loughton. Well, we won the lottery, Matthew said without a hello. Loughton felt his stomach drop, followed by a wave of nausea. He waited for it. Dead body, Matthew said, taser to the neck. Loughton closed his eyes again. Homicide. Looks like it. First one on the preserve. Shit. Nine months since they opened the Sokar preserve and the first body had shown up in Liberty. Really, it's amazing it took this long. 
The drop in violent crime since the preserve opened was something both the robot and preserve governments were touting as proof that the preserve had been a success that far exceeded expectations. Well, the honeymoon was over. It's Carl Smythe. Body was behind Kramer's market between the dumpster and the loading dock. I thought you'd want to come look. Chief Loughton could feel his left lower eyelid fluttering. The whole left side of his face began to tingle. Chief? Anything I can't get from the pictures, he said. It's just when they start asking questions, Matthew said, they're going to be asking you. Why did it have to be in Liberty? Okay, Loughton said, I'll be right over. We'll be waiting. Chief Loughton hung up and held the phone a moment in a daze. He looked at the clock again. It promised 37 minutes left in his shift, but that didn't mean anything now. If only his head didn't hurt. He opened his desk drawer and took out a bottle of Advil. Each pill cost a fortune these days, but if there was ever a time to use them, this was it, even if he knew they probably wouldn't help. He swallowed four, dry, dropped the bottle back in his desk drawer, and looked at his gun sitting in the drawer as well. The way his face felt, he couldn't shoot straight if he had to. There was no reason to make the first murder in preserve history, also the first day he carried a gun since coming to Liberty. He slammed the drawer shut, stood, and strode out of the room. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.